Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to travel to Washington, D.C. and we're going to talk to Janae from Chamber of Progress about the policy framework that is related to fintech or crypto or blockchain in particular, what's going on, what went well, what's not going so well in this world, and what can be done about this when it comes to economic policy. Uh, Thank you very much, Janae. How are you today? I'm doing well. Brilliant. So have you done your daily run around mall or not yet? No, not yet. Not yet. Once it gets a little warmer. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us, how did you get to do what you do today? And even more importantly, why? I am actually from the Washington, D.C. area. So I've always grown up around policy and politics and talking about world news and current events. So that's how I ended up in politics and policy. I studied economics in undergrad. And after that, I was interested in helping people with their taxes. I worked as an accountant for a little bit, and I started understanding more about tax policies and accounting procedures while I was in the practice. And that kind of led me into working more with policy itself, hands-on, where I started working at Howard University for the provost, working on diversity and inclusion policy, working alongside students in finance, and then that led me to working on the on Capitol Hill, where I spent a year working on the diversity and inclusion subcommittee on House Financial Services Committee. And after that, I ended up just finding cryptocurrency and financial inclusion and fintech fascinating. And that's how I ended up in my current position now as director of financial policy for the Chamber of Progress. Right. So Director of Financial Policy at Chamber of Progress. So what does that mean? What is the Chamber of Progress, first of all? So the Chamber of Progress is a tech policy organization, first and foremost. We chart out a roadmap for public policies that will help the tech industry grow and develop in a way that builds a more fair and progressive society. So our goal is that we want to see tech create digital opportunities for everyone by building a more inclusive democratic society and supporting healthy online communities. We work on a lot of issues. I work specifically on fintech and cryptocurrency, since those are financial technologies that are currently developing. But we are definitely a vocal advocate for crypto regulations that create rules of the road for the industry and for consumers. So you talk about are you working on the financial policy for crypto, etc., And if you look at the US and its friendliness to crypto or in blockchain, how would you rate it versus other countries. Are you clear on what is a cryptocurrency? What is a security? We all know that there is a very famous lawsuit going on, but this is at the core of everything, right? So where do you think the US is at the moment? I would say the US is getting to a place where they can put together rules and regulations that set them apart from the rest of the world. I know that there are a lot of competing companies 
or not companies, I'm sorry, a lot of competing countries, the UK, Japan, who are all establishing rules and regulations that make them world leaders when it comes to digital assets. I think the U.S. is definitely in a place where they're trying to spend more time now developing the policies that can help make the U.S. a leader in this space, which is why I think it's taking so long for the proper regulations to be put together. I don't know if you've heard of this saying, but you don't want to necessarily be the first all the time. You want to be the best. And that's why I feel the U.S. really is a contender when it comes to being a world leader in digital asset regulation. Then I think we should mention Switzerland and Singapore in the same vein, right? Because yes, these are absolutely. obviously countries or nations that also would like to create a supportive environment. But on the other hand, it has to work, right? It is related to finance and that, but that's by nature often regulated from A to Z. It has to work because you need to protect the retail investors and people who don't know enough about it. I totally agree. And I think that when it comes to creating that proper regulatory structure, you have to make sure that you're not too laissez-faire when it comes to crypto regulation. You You have some countries on one end that they want crypto companies to come and set up shop in their country. So they're willing to you know, overlook some of the things that the U.S. would be producing enforcement actions on. And so this is kind of what we've seen with the whole FTX collapse, where you had the Bahamas that was very open and they wanted FTX's business. And the way that their regulations are structured is not the same as the U.S. Sam Bankman-Fried went into the Bahamas and was conducting business in a way that would have been condemned in the U.S. So you have to strike that balance between what is okay in in producing innovation and producing good actors and people who are genuinely there to help the industry and then block while blocking out the bad actors who are just coming in and they want to take advantage and they want to make money off of everyone and leave investors and consumers holding the bag ultimately. So let's come back and elaborate a little bit on the Chamber of Progress. What is your mission or what are your activities? How do you get to enacting or getting closer to your vision for whether it's financial policy or other activities you've got? Yeah, our mission is to be an advocate for tech policies that will build a more fair, inclusive country where everyone can benefit from technological leaps, not just people who have more money than another group. We want to work on aligning the industry to progressive values, just to be a voice in the tech policy debate and just being a roadmap for policymakers who are interested in that pragmatic approach to tech policy. And of course, when you talk about technological progress or policy, it's obvious that you need to start with big tech, but how do you work with fintechs that are not necessarily big tech? So somebody who is not part of the FANG club yet, but they do something around financial services and they use technology to get there. So how do you navigate that space and how can you help fintechs to move forward? I would say for the smaller fintech companies, there is still some policy advocacy that needs to be done for them as well. Just because right now there is a regulatory gray area in the U.S. when it comes to determining how to evaluate fintech partnerships in the U.S. tech companies oftentimes partner with banks to deliver products for consumers. And we are an advocate for them there by encouraging the development of fintech bank partnerships and emphasizing their value to the American consumer. Just thinking about all of these fintech companies that have come up in response to the American consumer being in need of stretching their check. 
their paycheck from today to their next payday, thinking about buy now, pay later, and thinking about earned wage access, early wage access. Those are fintech products that are created to actually help Americans. It's tech that's benefiting um, consumers. And so that is something that we definitely advocate for, for our smaller fintech companies that aren't exactly FANG. But I think another thing that I feel is important is to be a champion for those fintech companies who are looking for someone who is not swinging against them. I feel like right now in the policymaking landscape, you have a lot of companies, a lot of companies and nonprofits who are for consumers, but they are working towards eliminating some of the products and services that consumers are taking advantage of that consumers are using to fill a gap when it comes to accessing traditional financial services. And having this organization like Chamber of Progress is needed, very necessary to for consumers who do support those things and emphasize that fintech is here to help, not to hurt the economy, the American economy. That's the idea, but with every innovation it seems like the scandals come as well. And uh, we did see it when we talked about derivatives. Maybe we don't even remember it or some people were not around yet. But many countries, they even didn't allow derivatives 40 years ago or so because the regulators didn't have capacity to do it. They didn't understand it. There were scandals that brought down the Barings Bank that became then part of ING Barings. So to me, it it has certain similarities with the FTX fiasco. But let's dive into this. You hinted that the FTX issues had to do with what some people would call a regulatory arbitrage, right? And everybody can read about the control failures and things like this. But what happened to the good old-fashioned due diligence? I also seen articles on this, that people were just not doing any due diligence. You just told them you had 4 million users per minute and nobody checked it. So that's just an example, not necessarily related to FTX. So what do you think went wrong when we talk about FTX? Well, I think the biggest problem from a U.S. perspective was the fraud and mismanagement of funds with FTX. It's, it wasn't necessarily an issue with digital assets and blockchain technology. I think just that that fraud, stealing customer deposits, mismanagement of funds, lack of transparency for business matters. Those are three glaring things that were obvious to me when I saw this FTX collapse happening on Twitter. So I, I think that is really the biggest problem with FTX. In the US, this FTX international collapse wouldn't have happened had FTX international established a shop in the US. I know they had an arm FTX US, which was actually in regulatory compliance with American regulators at the time, but this was a different arm. This was overseas and it just wouldn't have happened in the U.S. given our regulatory structure right now. But I also think that another thing that was a big problem for FTX, which you know we're, we're probably going to see happen down the line with a couple of other crypto companies that are established overseas, is just the lack of action around regulatory clarity in the U.S. That kind of regulatory uncertainty pushes companies to set up shop overseas to more crypto-friendly countries who are willing to kind of not necessarily turn a blind eye, but they're just, they're more willing to receive companies because that will stimulate their economies and 
they're willing to work closely with industry. And it's hard to tell who's a good actor, who's a bad actor when you're in a situation like that, if you're a foreign government. But I really feel that lack of activity in the the lack of clarity on regulation really pushed companies like FTX to go abroad. And when people see these innovative products abroad, if you're an American investor or consumer, you will do whatever it takes to start investing there. If that means going through a VPN or if you're a big company, you're establishing another company overseas to invest. There's so many different things that you can do now that our world is so interdependent um, that it's just really uh, challenging to be behind other countries when it's coming to regulatory clarity. Just tying back to your earlier question, the U.S. really should work as hard as they can. I know they are, but the U.S. really should work to establish that regulatory clarity and keep American companies, American-based companies here where they can keep a watchful eye. Understood. So obviously, if such issues or scandals, this has an impact on the crypto markets, right? One way or another. So how do you see the outlook for crypto in the near term this year and also further down the line. And maybe there are other factors at play as well, which is the overall markets and potentially the recession and inflation, etc. Some people were saying that the crypto is not correlated with the traditional assets, so it's safer. But then we've seen that when people had to get liquidity, they got rid of crypto first. So What do you think is going to happen this year when it comes to crypto markets or cryptocurrencies? I would say the crypto market right now will likely face more of a a pushback from investors, if you will. With a recession, more people are going to be saving their money. So you'll likely see an increase in bank deposits rather than investments or deposits on a crypto exchange or even trades with cryptocurrency, different cryptocurrencies. I even think that with the increase of enforcement actions in the U.S. will also deter more investors from looking at cryptocurrencies to purchase and hold. Just last year, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, brought a record number of crypto-related enforcement actions last year, which is up 50% from 2021, according to some research from Cornerstone Research. So I think that when you see the increase of enforcement actions in cryptocurrency and people are losing their jobs left and right. People are really focused on keeping every dollar that they can in their bank accounts where they have that access to liquidity. So it it makes sense when you're saying that people are liquidating their assets because they're trying to hold on to what money they do have access to. But I think that even with a recession, you still have different opportunities to invest in cryptocurrency without participating on an exchange, just looking at Fidelity, they have retirement funds where you can invest in digital assets. And there are spot Bitcoin ETFs and other types of ETFs that are around where you can invest using your retirement funds, which is not necessarily something that the American consumer has access to until they reach a certain age. So you still would be able to access the market at that Point, but not necessarily buying or, and selling tokens on a platform if you are trying to hold on to your money during a recession. Right. You mentioned the regulatory clarity, right? Or the lack of it. So that is quite an important thing when it comes to crypto and any innovation that you can think of. And as it interacts with the regulatory or regulated environments like financial services typically are, right? So how should tech or crypto or fintech founders prepare for this ever-changing regulatory landscape? If you say we don't have clarity, 
but the things are moving so fast. So short of moving to another jurisdiction, how can they deal with this efficiently? I think the biggest thing for tech leaders to do is to be more vocal about business models that are unethical and isolate bad actors more frequently. I feel this is a very nascent space. So you have a lot of people who they can come in and they're a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? There are people who can spot that, you know, some companies are bad actors, but no one says anything about it until, you know, that company collapses. Then they're on Twitter or social media or on TV saying, oh, I knew that they were a bad actor all this time. I think being being more vocal is definitely a way to kind of gatekeep the industry, if you will, from people who are intending to cause harm. I also think that leaders should get more involved in current legislation, just being more vocal and specific about what works and what doesn't. The reason why I say specific is because in the U.S. we have a lot of companies and industry leaders who say, oh, we want regulation. Oh, we want regulatory clarity. When that when those proposals come that, you know, support that goal of providing regulatory clarity, there's hoopla. I always like to call this the meatloaf paradox. It's like I would do anything for regulation, but I won't do that. I think industry leaders really should focus on coming together and being specific about what would work and what wouldn't work. But I even think actively lobbying for a clarification of what is a security and what is a commodity as it relates to digital assets is the absolute first step to establishing any type of regulatory clarity. Yes. So how do policymakers in the US view crypto's function? Is it a payment mechanism or is it a commodity or digital gold or we still don't know? I feel like there are different camps when it, in the U.S. when it comes to how people view cryptocurrency and digital assets. It depends on the policymaker. Some people love the aspects of the technology. Some people do call it digital gold. And I can think of a few senators who have called coin digital gold. And then you have some makers who don't find crypto particularly useful. They see it as just a, a stain on modern society and they want to do anything and everything that they can to get rid of it. I think what we should focus on for, as a policymaker is the promise of the technology and how you can harness it for the good of the people. I think people coming together and working with regulators and industry on that specific definition is the first step. I know that based on legislation that were introduced last year, you have some provisions that exclude Bitcoin and Ethereum from being considered as a as a digital asset security, but then there are no provisions written in legislation that highlight why Bitcoin and Ethereum are excluded. Instead of carving out certain coins from regulation, I think we really need to focus on what that definition is. And it's like a dance, right? People don't know how best to approach this. You have to work with industry. You have to work with regulators if you're a lawmaker on establishing what those standards are, especially since the industry is is growing. You have NFTs coming in. You have decentralized finance, smart contracts coming in. You have to make that decision rather soon before everything gets before everything gets misconstrued in the industry and you just you lose all of the companies who are interested in growing and developing in the US. Absolutely. I think that's a clarity on a definition. It's pretty urgent to say politely. But obviously there are also sometimes some debates about the impact on the environment, right? Where does crypto fit into let's say climate or environment concerns when it comes to 
overall of the country. Is this also something that the legislators pay attention to or not yet since they don't even have a clarity on the definition? I would say legislators have been paying attention to the environmental impact of cryptocurrency. Just thinking about last President Biden's executive order, there were a couple of reports released on digital assets, and one of them was based on the environmental concerns of crypto mining. I know in New York State, they passed a crypto moratorium on mining for, I think, two years. So a lot of lawmakers are concerned about, you know, where crypto fits in with climate change and the environment. I know that proof of work, which Bitcoin is based on, it does have the potential of being sustainable, but it's not quite there yet. There are a lot of opportunities for innovation and sustainability in this space whenever you see a gap like that. I don't know if you know about like data centers with cloud storage solutions and corporate servers. At first, they were very environmentally inefficient. But through the development of sustainable technology, they're more eco-friendly than ever. I would also say that mining companies in Europe have taken the lead on sustainable mining using hydroelectric power and solar energy. I know countries like Iceland, they have been taking the lead on that. And then also in Africa and Morocco, there is development of wind power farms to generate energy for Bitcoin mining as well. I know in the U.S., uh, there is a big push for ESG uh environment, social, and governance metrics, where consumers are willing to put their dollars where their personal priorities lie. So there's been a handful of crypto mining companies in the U.S. that are focused on sustainable mining. I know that a, co a company called Aspen Creek Digital, they're mining Bitcoin using solar power. So there are definitely opportunities to grow and expand when it comes to mining in this space. But I also think that The transition from proof of work to proof of stake with Ethereum cut down on energy usage. I was just reading the other day that the Ethereum Foundation said that their switch to proof of stake results in a network that would use nearly 100% less energy than when it was operating on proof of work. Naturally, the industry will correct itself to become more sustainable and environmentally friendly. I think with the demands of ESG from consumers, you we might reach a goal faster than normal because there is a demand with environment and climate change considerations when it comes to crypto and crypto mining. All right. So maybe let's follow up on one other thing you said before. You talked about big tech, right? And that may be a touchy, but also topical debate going on around big tech and antitrust breaking up big companies, uh, protecting competition, things like this. Apart from the focus on big tech, can, be, can there be any impacts on the crypto and the blockchain world if some of those, uh, let's say, enforcement actions that relate to big tech would ever happen when it comes to antitrust? No, I think the tech antitrust legislation in discussion last year would impact just a handful of companies, the FANGs, due to their large number of users. I know some of these companies have discussed the possibility of launching their own coins, but I don't believe any of those companies are actively developing digital assets that would compete with the cryptocurrencies that we are using today. The biggest impact of anti-legislation would likely be to the ability of these platforms to moderate content, Apple reviewing apps that are allowed in their store, and Meta having strict requirements to stop users from getting scammed. I think if, if, if Apple or Meta bars a, a scammy crypto app from their platform, 
that could raise antitrust concerns under legislation. However, I don't think we are likely to see that legislation move forward in this Congress just due to politics around the Congress and the members that you know, are in control of the House. They are mostly turning their attention towards questions of censorship and content moderation rather than focusing more specifically on antitrust. Okay. All right. Understood. So do you have any recommended reading focus on the role of technology in the society or innovation or financial policy when it comes to blockchain or innovation in financial services? Anything that people can pick up and uh, read up on a little bit more? No, absolutely. I One book that I go to constantly is The Future of Money by Eswar Prasad. And then I also have a someone who I know very well who is writing a book that will be released soon. It's called Crypto for My People. The author is Tavonia Evans. She founded a crypto token called Guapcoin. She, in her book, she's discussing potential uses for cryptocurrency amongst the African-American community. I really think that this is important because the largest users of cryptocurrency in the United States are by black and brown consumers. And so I feel reading this book will really help people understand where this, where we are going as a society when it comes to using cryptocurrency to help help communities gain access to financial services. One of the reasons why I am fascinated by cryptocurrency is because of its reach amongst communities who historically are under underserved by traditional financial institutions. And so I think this book is going to be really great when it comes to discussing how it can be leveraged to help close the wealth and technology gap for African-Americans and other underserved communities in the United States. All right, great stuff. So before we go, one, one basic question, but still... A very important one. What's the best way to reach out and find out more about Chamber of Progress? So our website is progresschamber.org. We also have a newsletter that we send out fairly frequently. So if you'd like to stay in touch and get connected with what we're doing, the newsletter sign up is on the front page. I can also be found on Twitter. It's my first name and last name. And I am also on LinkedIn as well. My first name and last name as well. All right. Brilliant. Thank you, Janae. And good luck to Chamber of Progress. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceofintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.